Good morning. It's good to have everyone here. By preacher's count, I've got 38. And I say praise God. Uh, that's about the attendance we were having before the worldwide pandemic took place. So we may, we may have a couple of people that aren't showing up, but most everybody is is well and active and here. And uh, one of my prayers on a regular basis when just before Wednesday and just before Sunday is that God will fill the house with people who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And He sure did fill it up this morning. And uh, so we give, we give all the praise to Him. Uh, it's the last year and a half been difficult. Uh, we've seen people leave us. And some of them it didn't have anything to do with the pandemic. Well, I know we all probably still miss Jay a whole lot. I know his family still does. Uh, very committed soldier of the cross. But uh, Jay was in the position where he he's prepared. He wanted to be here and preach, but if, if God called him home, he'd go. And uh, that's that was the Apostle Paul's attitude. That should be our attitude. We should be ready. And while we're here, we should be looking to see who isn't ready that we can give them a helping hand. This morning my text is from Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse 25. Luke 14... 25. And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and count up the cost whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand, or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It's neither fit for land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. We probably heard lots of lessons on this text at different times. Uh, titles, a little bit different, but pretty much the same. Jesus is talking about denying self and following Him. You know, we, we seem to want to name uh, eras. We talk about the baby boomers and the, and the uh, X generation and the Y generation. And I don't know what all of the names are. Uh, and sometimes generations overlap. But one of the terms that stands out in my mind uh, really has nothing to do with that terminology. 
but I've heard the term used, the me generation. The me generation. And before that term ever came up, a, a prominent restaurant chain that I worked for for a while uh, had a slogan, have it your way. Well, that's a pleasant thought, but everybody can't have it their way. And if I have everything my way, then I can't serve the Lord because then I'm selfish. And you can't be selfish and be a servant of His. Many religious leaders measure their success by numbers. How many, how many are following their teaching? But Jesus looked at hearts. You know, He could have started counting and the multitudes were so big. And I've brought it up before, but I remember... When he got called to go to the home of Jairus, his 12-year-old daughter was on her deathbed and she was dead when he arrived. And, uh, he said to the mourners, she's, don't weep, she's not uh, dead, she's merely sleeping. Well, he's talking two different uh, veins of thought there and they laughed him in scorn. Later, he, she came out of the room because he brought her back to life. Uh, but on the way to that place, the multitudes were following behind him. I mean, I could almost picture him at a real quick pace because we've got this young girl on her deathbed. So he's moving right along. The crowd is just moving with him. And some of them are touching him and getting healed. And the one woman touched him and then she was afraid. When he stopped, and you know when he stopped, the whole crowd stopped. And he said, who touched me? And his disciples said, you're being thronged by the crowd and you ask who touched me? Well, he already knew, knew who touched him. And she came forward very humble, very submissive, and confessed. And he said, your faith has made you whole. She believed that if she touched his garment, she would be healed. She was. But here's this big crowd. And if Jesus was like a lot of the modern day denominational leaders... He could have stopped and he could have said to the apostle, there's 12 of you, start counting this crowd. You need to know how big the crowd is. But he wasn't looking at the crowd, he's looking at their hearts. He's looking, he's seeking to save the lost. When the Pharisees criticized him, he said, I didn't come to call the righteous to repentance. I came to call those that are separated from God. When a physician goes out making house calls, which they don't anymore, but well, they do somewhat, uh, a couple of pilot programs. But when they go out to make a house call, they're going out to call on the sick people. They're not going out to call on the well people. This is what Jesus wanted the Pharisees to know. And, of course, they needed Him just as much as anybody, but they would not acknowledge it. They felt that they were uh, righteous enough but Jesus looked at hearts, and He still does. Mankind generally looks in other places. You know, when God was choosing a king for Israel, uh, they were looking at the stature of the brothers. Oh, this one looks like a king. Here come David after he was called in last. He didn't look like a king. But God had looked into his heart, and He was the best king that uh, the Jewish people ever had. Sinful, yes. Serving God, striving to do what's right, penitent when He needed to be, yes. 
mankind generally looks for other things. One of the things we look for when we go to serve Jesus is convenience. You know, we're all about convenience. How fast can we get this done and how easy can we get that done? And, and is there a shortcut? Can I get around to the head of the line? Convenience. Well, being a Christian for that kind of thinker is something that you change to suit yourself. And the world's got a lot of people that change it to suit themselves. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Many will come unto me in that day and uh, say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name have done many wonderful works? And I will profess to them, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. If we don't do what He commands us to do in this book, He doesn't know us. We're strangers. We're listening to another voice. You know, Adam and Eve listened to God. And then one day they listened to another voice. And when they did, they got pulled away from God. They got separated from God. They lost all the wonderful things that God had supplied. They had to go out into a different environment. Modern man wants to change God to his way. He wants to make God in his own image. And it's man that must change. A person must change from the heart outward. Not look like they changed on the outside, but the heart's still the same. They've got to change from the inside and let it come out and let it show. Commitment is expected in order to serve Christ. You know, when men and women serve in the armed forces, they sign a document and they, they commit to so many years. And that's the main thing. But then the bigger contract, which may not be in all of that, is they'll follow the rules. When the sergeant speaks, they'll do what the sergeant says. My brother was in the military and he was in uh, basic training at uh, down in Kentucky, Fort Knox, I think. Anyway, he's in basic training and the drill sergeant would let them go to bed and then wake them up and say, come outside, the old man has a job for us to do. And they would line up, they would comply with his wishes. And he'd say, you see that big pile of rocks? He wants us to move that over there. And if we do, he'll give us tomorrow off. So they moved the rocks. They wanted to be in bed, but they moved the rocks because they're going to get tomorrow off. And about an hour before getting up time, they had them moved. The sergeant dismissed them. They went in. They went to bed. Getting up time, the alarm sounded to get up. They're coming out of there rubbing their eyes. Why are we getting up? We got the day off. No, the old man went back on his deal. He's not going to give you the day off. So we're going to move those rocks back where they came from. He's not going to get them where he wanted them. So they moved rocks all day. When they signed on the dotted line, they agreed. They made a commitment to do what they were commanded to do. Now, our Savior isn't a drill sergeant. And our Heavenly Father doesn't go back on His Word. And when we do what the Lord Jesus tells us to do, 
He does what He said He would do. If we obey the Gospel and put on our Lord in baptism, our sins are gone. It's like if we had that board up upon the baptistry and we wrote all over it, wrote all the bad things we'd ever done, and then wiped it off. Well, when we are penitent and we confess and we obey the Gospel in baptism, Jesus wipes the slate clean. Will we sin again? Yeah. Yeah. And John tells us in uh, first epistle of John that when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's part of the agreement. He's our advocate. We sin. We pray to Him now that we're Christians. And He advocates to the Father on our behalf. We have a lot going for us that we don't want to give up. A commitment's expected. Now the King James translation into English, we begin to think we have to hate our family. But we know that Moses didn't teach that. And Jesus wouldn't teach that. In Exodus 20 verse 12, uh, God said, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The Scriptures teaches us to honor our parents, to love our wives, to love our husbands, to love our children, to love our families. When you dig down into the original, King James may have said hate. Well, it's not a hate like we're accustomed to thinking about. It's a loving less. Anybody that comes after Christ, follows after Christ to serve Him and can't put Him in first place in their life, they won't be following Him. Uh, they won't be keeping a commitment. There isn't a contradiction. Jesus is using a figure of speech called the hyperbole to emphasize the critical point. The point is this. No one or nothing should come ahead of God. No one or nothing should rise above the importance of God in our lives. <clears throat> On two occasions, Peter and John and some of the other apostles stood before the Jewish rulers. They just finished. They'd healed somebody. They were preaching the gospel. They locked them up. They brought them in 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 front of the Sanhedrin. They said, "We don't want you to teach or preach anymore in His name." Now, they knew what happened to Jesus. That was only about 50 or 60 days earlier. But they were bold in the Spirit and they turned to those men and they said, we can only teach and preach the things that we have seen and heard. It is better for us to obey God than to obey men. So, there is somebody says, do you always keep the laws? We do if we have a government that doesn't challenge God's law. And when we get a government that, that does that, if you were living in some of the... Uh, China, for example, and they told you not to assemble or you'd be imprisoned and maybe executed, well, they would mean what they say, but like Peter and John, we, would, we, would, we ought to say... We, we have to obey God, not men, on that one because it contradicts the Word of God. We don't want to be like the uh, 
they were in the first and second and third centuries when they were under persecution and they would have to denounce their Savior and acknowledge Caesar or some other dignitary as being their God. Some would do it just to save their lives. Some would proudly say, I will not deny my Lord. Polycarp was 86 years old. They tied him up on the pole and put the stuff around him to set on fire. <coughs> the captain of the soldiers said, I'll give you one more chance. You're an old man. Denounce him. Just, just say Caesar is Lord. I don't care what you do the rest of the year. And he said, 86 years I've served my Lord and he's never forsaken me yet. And he said, I won't forsake him. They lit the fire and he sang hymns until he died. Now, that's a commitment. That's a total commitment. We cannot let anything come between us and God, between us and our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a throne in my heart. There's a throne in your heart. And right now, during the reign of Jesus, King Jesus should be on that throne. But sometimes we get a little guilty and we ask Him to take a walk or something because we find out all of a sudden we're back on the throne and we're messing things up. So we've got to keep Jesus ruling in our lives. You want to read a short book in the New Testament and think about lessons of who ruled your life? The Gospel of Mark has a lot of lessons in that. It's 16 chapters and can be read in a day's time or an afternoon. Much as I love my wife, my children, my parents, my relatives, especially my great-grandchildren and my grandchildren, I, when I introduce any of them, I say this is one of my favorite grandchildren. I can't say anything different than that because it wouldn't be true anymore. <clears throat> but they can't come between me and Christ. In, in that process... If they do, or if they see us when our children are growing up, if they see us let something come ahead of Christ, ahead of worship to God, you know what? They're smart little people. They take that in and they record it. And then later when they get a little bit older and they're half between childhood and adulthood, they don't want to go this morning because of this or that. We say, but you need to go. Well... You don't go when you don't want to. Well, that'll come back to us. We have to do the right thing. We teach our children by word and by example. Just like we teach in the church. By word and by example. You hear people say, I'd go to church, but my mother doesn't want me to. As soon as I convince my wife or my husband, we'll be at the services. My kids think this group is boring. And any number of excuses could be made. You know, boring shouldn't come into play when it comes to worshiping God because boring implies that what's happening is for me. <clears throat> I'm not here for me. We're here to worship God. We're here to praise God. We are here to glorify God. And at the end of the day, glory should be to God. You have to hate your own life. You mean hate it, hate it? No, I mean love it less. It cannot, you cannot love yourself more than you love your Savior. If you do, you, you've given up your Savior. 
even what I want has to be despised if it comes between me and God. When you approach Christ with this thought, what's in it for me? It, you, you can go home because you're lost. And until you can get rid of that kind of thinking, you're lost. You have to repent of that way of thinking. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? <clears throat> the greatest commandment is to love God. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And while he's at it, he gives us the second one. The second is likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. <clears throat> On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus said in John chapter 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The inverse of that is, if you don't love him, you won't keep his commandments. And so here he taught, you need to love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, all of your mind, your entire being belongs to God. And you know, we, we can study the Bible and the history around it and go back and look at people like Paul and Peter and you have no doubt that they had committed all. They had surrendered all. Because Paul, when he got freed from Rome the first time, a lot of people said, I'm not going back in that place no more. They'll arrest me. Well, sure enough, the next time he got arrested, Nero was in power, I think. Whether it's Nero or not, tradition, uh, not, not the Bible, but history says that he was beheaded. There are writings in Rome that Peter and Paul died about the same time. They were committed to Christ, regardless of how it ended in this life. They knew how it was going to be in the next life. The cross represented the most extreme suffering in the Roman world. It was the absolute, the worst way to die, and it was reserved for the severest of criminals. So the worst of conditions there could have been, uh, he said he, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 to 25, Jesus said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life will lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall find it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? And I know this isn't part of the Scripture verse, but it's a, it's a principle from it based on what we were talking about a minute ago. He, he will lose himself or be cast away and in the process maybe cause his offspring to be lost also. It trickles. It, it domino effect. It happens. Let's consider Luke chapter 9 verse 57 to 62. It came to pass that as they went in the way a certain man said to him, Lord, I'll follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. 
And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go and bid farewell to those which are at my house. And Jesus said to him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I'm not a farmer, haven't been, but come from people who were, and it's my understanding before you had tractors, maybe it'll happen with a tractor too, but if, if the mule is plowing, you put your hand to the plow, and you look behind you while you're moving along, and you look back around, the row won't be straight. It'll be all over the place. If the mule isn't smart enough to go in the right spot, you've got to, you've got to get him there. So when you get your mind in the wrong place, uh, you need to get it back on target, back on track. You need to focus on the cross. So what do we learn from that? Well, Jesus said that the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay His head. We need to be willing to be homeless. Does that mean we have to be? No. Well, we need to be willing to be. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his only son, but he, he knew that God had made many promises involved with that, and even if, even if he sacrificed him, God would bring him back up. Abraham was a man of faith. We need to be willing to neglect family obligations. That doesn't mean we always have to. We need to be willing to for the sake of, of Christ and for, uh, for the service to God. We, we need to be willing to not even say goodbye if we have to. Just how serious is Jesus about our level of commitment? How serious is it required? Well, He doesn't alter His standards. I'll say it that way. Our God is a God of justice. And when we read the stories in the Old Testament, justice is meted out. And you're reading those out of context. You're thinking, oh, oh that, that's his, he's a God of... No, He's a God of justice. You can't promise justice for wrongdoing and sin and then not do anything about it. Then you become unjust. The rich young ruler didn't follow Jesus. In Mark 10, 21 and 22, uh, he said, uh, Lord, I'll follow you. He said, go sell what you have. Give it to the poor and come back and follow me. And the young man went away sad that Jesus let him go. Jesus would not lower his demands. Even though he loved the young man, he didn't say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know what? You can still follow me. You can still bring it. We'll work that out later. No. He did not alter the standard. The standard is here. The standard remains here. The standard is here. It does not change. We think about His disciples. In Matthew chapter 4 and eight, verse 18 and following, in Luke chapter 5, verse 27, He's calling uh, Matthew, uh, uh, He's calling Peter and Andrew away from their fishing, James and John, calling Matthew from the seat of customs. He's calling these people. When he called them, let's focus on Peter, Andrew, James, and John just for a minute. He's walking by the seashore. They're mending nets. They're doing their work about their boats. 
and he calls them. And the writers don't say, well, after they wrapped up all the loose ends, they followed him. The writer tells us about how they left their jobs undone and followed him. Now, on the other hand, and I'm not, I'm not saying this gave them the, the, that they would have had the liberty to stay if it didn't work this way, but if one of the writers talks about they left their father with their hired servants, so they had people helping the father. But when Jesus called and Jesus spoke, they went. Now they went back later because they fished on and off. And after Jesus was crucified, they're mourning and Peter says, I'm going fishing. And the others said, we're going with you. And they went fishing. And they discovered Jesus wasn't still in the grave because he came and cooked fish for them. We need to remember that the disciples were good men who obeyed Christ, but they weren't perfect. In Matthew 26, Peter says, I'll never deny you, Lord. Before the night was over, he'd done it, and he knew it. And I love, I love all the records, the Gospel records, but I love the way Luke records it because the room that Peter's in warming by the fire and the trial are one big area and Jesus is able to see Peter and when the cock crowed Luke says that Jesus looked you know he looked at his looked into his eyes he looked at him and Peter was just melted to the heart went out I'm sure he wept and cried but the important thing to remember is he was penitent he did repent he went back and he became a strong servant in the kingdom of the Lord Later, Paul had to rebuke Peter for his hypocrisy because he was eating with Gentiles and the Jews come to town and he jumped up and he left where the Gentiles were because he didn't want them to criticize him. So Paul, Paul got on him for it in Galatians 2, 11 and 14. These men weren't perfect, but they were willing to die with Jesus. John eleven sixteen. They wavered, but they held on. Counting the cost of being a disciple is important. You don't build and not count the cost. You don't go to war and not count the cost. I've used this analogy before, but I remember when we first moved to Michigan, we made a lot of trips back to Alabama when there was a holiday from school and Dad could get off from work. But down here between us and Fort Wayne, on the east side of the interstate, there was a motel somebody had started building when we first moved. And I was about 13 years old. And later, when I was old enough to drive myself to Nashville to go to Lipscomb, that building's still there. It's not finished. Now, it may be gone now. They probably tore it down and finally put something up. But somebody started a project and couldn't finish it. Jesus says you count the cost on earthly things counted on spiritual because we don't want to grow up and have a heart that is vacant of the spirit just because we didn't count the cost we don't want to start something we can't finish we don't want to put our hand to the plow and look back we want to keep looking forward with our eyes upon the cross of Jesus There's only one path to salvation. 
if we get off the track to that path, uh, it's the only way to get back. Nothing else will be offered. Hebrews 6, 4-6 through 6. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and having tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they fall away, knew them again into repentance, seeing they crucified themselves the Son of God afresh, put Him to an open shame. The writer's not saying that people can't get back, only that it is impossible for me or you to persuade them to come back with the very thing they rejected. We're going to take the Bible, they rejected it, and we're going to persuade them with the Bible. That's almost literally impossible. But other things happen in people's lives that change their minds before it's too late. We need to count the cost of not being a disciple. We need to be on the side of the cross and not on the side of Satan. We're called to follow Him. We're called to bear much fruit, John 15, 14 through 16. Uh, Luke 14, 34, 35, we already read the verses, but we don't want to be salt that has no value to it. You know, if you get some salt that's real old and it doesn't season your food. Right now, uh, I'm being told to keep my salt intake really low. And sometimes I just zero it out, but I know that you got to have some because you get other problems if you don't. But you can really tell the difference when the salt taste isn't there. Bit Mrs. Dash comes in handy. But if salt has lost its savor, Jesus said it's not good for anything except to throw it out on the trail that people walk on. They beat it down by, by foot. No one can expect to be a disciple without bringing something of value to the relationship. Salt is only useful when it performs the duty and seasons the food. We're only useful in the cause of Christ when we realize, Matthew 3.10, the axe is laid upon the root of the trees. Every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. We're encouraged in John 15 to bear much fruit. We're, our, we're Jesus' friends. You're my friends if you do whatsoever I commanded you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord needed, but I call you friends. We want to be a friend of Jesus. We want to serve Him. And we want to remain in His kingdom. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. This is the key. Without Jesus in our hearts ruling, we cannot be productive. We can do nothing. Jesus chose us so we honor Him with our service, John 15, 14 through 16. In Sermon on the Mount, He said, You're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. Giveth light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven.
moment ago we read from Luke chapter 9, Jesus said, No man having put his hand to the plow, looking back, is fit for the kingdom of heaven. We don't want to fall into that category. We're humans. We stumble. We fall. And when I stumble, and when I fall, and I think my world is coming apart, God is waiting there like the prodigal son's father, wanting us to accept, accept His extended hand. He wants to bring us home. He wants to kill the fatted calf. We were dead. We're alive again. We were lost. We're found. If you're here this morning and you have not committed your life completely to Christ, you obeyed the gospel, but you let other things crowd Him out. Bring Him back in. You come home and let Him come home to your heart. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you've never obeyed the gospel, we, we encourage you to repent of your sins, confess Christ, be buried with Him in baptism. You'll be raised a new creature. You begin a new life. You're faithful unto death. You serve God, not to score points in works, but because you love God and you obey Him and keep His commandments. By grace we are saved, except by the grace of God we wouldn't be here. If you're a believer and you've fallen short, we're here to pray with you and for you. Whatever your need is, will you come this morning while we stand and sing?